Well, hello, everybody. Coming to you from our wet and dark garages, deep, deep in the back, working on our projects over the winter. I'm Jay Ward, joined by our producer, Matt Strauss. And I'm Wayne Carini, and this is Talking Classic Cars. And I'm so excited today because our guest is Bob McKee. Now, if you don't know this name, of course, he's got McKee's 37 car care product. But way back, he started AutoGeek, which was the largest online format where you could buy car detailing products. He started as a young guy working on the shores of New Jersey to this massive empire of auto detailing. We'll get into that in a little bit. All right, well, let's get into it. I mean, we've got a lot of stuff to catch up on. It's been a unbelievable few weeks, Jay, and you, you went across the pond and, uh, and saw some exciting races. Tell us about that. Yeah. Yeah, I just got back from Bahrain for the Formula One race, which is 8,000 miles from my home in the San Francisco Bay Area. So for those of you who don't know, Bahrain is uh, a little sovereign nation uh, off the coast of Saudi Arabia in the Middle East. It's its own island nation, and um, it is the host of the first race of the year. And I was asked by Alois Roof to join him to come to the Bahrain Formula One race, and it was amazing. The track was built in 2004 from scratch by the crown prince of Bahrain and everything there was just done top notch. So tell us about Alois Roof. I mean, you know, people have heard that name, but uh, a, a little synopsis here. Yeah. I mean, you may see the, the initials R-U-F and you think, oh, rough. It's Roof, Alois Roof. Uh, he's based in a little town called Pfaffenhausen, Germany. And for the last 40 or 50 years, he has been such a part of the Porsche community and also building his own Porsche-based creations, Roof Automobiles. He makes a CTR and an STR, and he was the first guy to build a Porsche-based supercar that went over 200 miles an hour called Yellowbird. And he's still at it today, building fantastic cars, and he invited me to come with him to this race because he's friends with the Crown Prince of Bahrain, so we had pretty good access. I guess so. Wow. Exciting race, too. Um, uh, you know, fantastic race, actually. Yeah, good to see somebody mixing it up. Um, you know, everybody was excited that Fernando Alonso and the uh, Aston Martins have some pace that they really did good. Unfortunately, Ferrari kind of crapped out again. They had problems. Um, a lot of teams kind of moving up and down the order, but it was it, it was fun. It was really a great race, and I'm I'm excited about Saudi Arabia, the second race of the year. So. And, and Porsche is going to jump into Formula One as the word. So I mean, you know, and Ford too. So I mean, this is pretty exciting stuff. Formula One is uh, really uh, on a high at the moment. Uh, coming to the United States for many races, as well as all over the world and uh, so many great manufacturers. So um, so while you were there, I was at the Amelia Island Concours and we missed you very much, Jay, but uh, we understood what a fantastic opportunity that was for you. Um, a great show, uh, fantastic weather. Uh, it rained a little bit on Saturday morning for the uh, cars and community part, but that was so jammed with people. It was unbelievable. Of course, you had Radwood, you had... Concorde Lemons going on, but really, really a, a, a great show. Uh, and the two best of shows uh, was a voice song of the Mullen Museum. What an unbelievable car that is. Uh, parked right, right next to my buddy Ralph Morano, and Ralph was sort of feeling a little down, you know, have this beautiful French coach car uh, parked next to him that won best in show. But And then, of course, the uh, uh, 250 LM, the only Ferrari, uh, the first Ferrari to actually win um, in that era, uh, the Le Mans race and the number 21 car that was, uh, when it ran, it was it was run by the NART, um, North American Racing Team, Luigi Canetti's team, and as part of the Indianapolis Motor Speedway collection today, 
and uh, it, it it was the perfect car. They they did a, a a really great job in honoring all the 24-hour Le Mans cars and the greatest cars out there. So um, just a great time. Sounds like it was a good weekend, and you had Jeff Gordon as sort of the the master of ceremonies of sorts and the guest for the weekend. Yeah, I got to meet Jeff and talk to him for a while, and and with El- Ed Welburn. So the two of them, really great people, and uh, it was it was a lot of fun. And it's like going home. I've been to every one of them. I've never missed one. So uh, I hope that doesn't date myself. I just no. I just love going there. It's a great show. Yeah. You may not know this, but Jeff Gordon was a voice for us in Cars 2 and Cars 3. In Cars 2, he was the racer Jeff Gorvet. And, <laughs> and of course, Ray Reverenham was there also. <laughs> and uh, so we're hanging, out, right. hanging out with Ray. And uh, yeah, and we've got with Ray, we've got a great show coming up uh, down at Charlotte Motor Speedway. Uh, we're going to be doing a show in mid-April, uh, April 15th and 16th. And we're having a small mini concord down there with 20 cars. Um, I'm helping put those cars together, that class. It's not going to be a judge class. We just want to sort of um, have the public's knowledge of, of what going to a major concourse is about. It, it's a great car show they have, muscle cars and hot rods and race cars uh, normally for a three-day event down there. But uh, the family, Smith family, wants to include a concourse with it. So this is just the beginning of that. Cool, I- cool idea. And Ray is such a great guy. We're going to have him on the show down the road. So get ready for that because Ray Evernham is on- honestly the guy who's lived multiple lives. So I can't wait to have him on the show. That's right. That's right. So uh, coming up soon, uh, Bob McKee is going to be our guest. A uh, wonderful guy that's got uh, so much knowledge in the automotive uh, uh, cleaning and waxing and uh, preparation for shows. So we're going to have him on shortly. So stay tuned. <laughs> Robert McKee. Well, hello, uh, Wayne, Matt, and Jay. It's great to be here. Thanks for the invitation. Well, it's great to have you here. You know, uh, we're so happy about uh, everything that's been happening with a new book just out. And why don't you tell us about the book? Well, the name of the book is uh, What a Ride. It kind of reflects my journey from the time I was grew up in uh, Jersey all the way to current times. I have to admit that it was uh, one of the most interesting experiences that I've ever had and one of the most challenging experiences I ever had. Well, with all the things that have been going on in your life, I know your history. Um, and that's something to say because you've had a very, very interesting life and have been successful in everything you do. If you really put all your effort into whatever you're doing, you know, whenever we're down for a show or a cars and coffee, Bob's out uh, at 5 a.m. setting the cones up and welcoming guests and doing so many things. He just doesn't show up and smile and wave his hand at, at people and then leave. He is the heart and soul of the whole company and, and everything we do. Tell us about the beginning of where Robert McKee is today. Well, it's, it's, it's a really interesting journey. Like I said, it was a challenging thing to do because as you reflect on your whole life and put your whole life into about 150 pages, it's, it's a challenge to do that. And it, it does take you back and it reminds you of the great times you had. But what I found interesting, it kind of brings up stuff from the past that you kind of forget about some of the things that are negative and some of the things that would make you come off track in life. I don't know how the mind works, though. You kind of forget about that stuff and you just look at the positive stuff. But I found that to be um, like I had some tragedies in my life and you kind of deal with it and you move on and we all do. But what I enjoyed about the book is a lot of people just know myself or you, Wayne, as who they see on television or and I worked hard to get this book so you can understand the person behind it, the real person, the person with boots on the ground. And like you said, you know, I'm out there putting cones on when you do um, the shows and stuff. 
And I guess I could allocate responsibility a little better, <laughs> but there's just something about, you know, I like in a certain way, uh, perception means a lot. And an equality of what you do, whether it's a service or a product, is very important to me. Yeah, I mean, that's important to, to all of us that are in our industry. I mean, Jay is a part of Pixar Studios and, and everything has to be just right. I don't know if you've seen the Cars movies, but the tread and the tires uh, on the cars and the <laughs> trucks in the movies just has to be right. And if you pay attention to the details, it's sort of like everything else sort of falls into place. I think that's correct uh, in saying that about you, uh, Jay, and the Cars movies. Yeah, but details are, are, are the part that a lot of people overlook. Yeah. Uh, a lot of people don't recognize it, but the details, that, to me, that's the yoke that keeps the helmet together. It is. Yeah. My old boss used to say, quality is the best business plan. You know, if you do everything with quality in mind, it'll always work out. When, when you start from a point of how much does this cost or, you know, what's the least expensive way we can do this? You never really get the result you want versus really just going in with that, that plan, like you said, Bob, of, perception of really uh, going the best you possibly can and what you're doing. So, Bob, take us uh, from the beginning a little bit. I don't want to give away the whole book. So you're out of high school or you're still in high school and, and, and you're working on the boardwalk. What's that about? Well, it's interesting. If you grew up in the state of Jersey, you, you know what a boardwalk's all about. And there's, there has to be half a dozen of, it, of them on a Jersey shore. And everybody in the Jersey area, Pennsylvania area, migrates to the Jersey Shore and you have boardwalks and they consist of arcades, restaurants, bars, games of chance, which are wheels. Being a typical high school guy coming down, going out, going down to the boardwalk, playing hooky from high school. You know, you're laying on the beach, you hear the, the wheels spinning and the girls in the bikinis. And I thought that was, it'd be an interesting job to have for the summer because that was a place you'd go when you were younger with your family. It was a place of fun of amusements, of being free. And lo and behold, I went up and got myself a job about a week before I graduated high school. And the day I graduated high school, I was on a boardwalk uh, working one of those booths. So what, was that a family-run business or did you just go to work for somebody? Well, it was a family-run business. And what was ironic, that was the first time really in my life that I did something and someone recognized that there was talent there. You know, through my high school years, you know, I had jobs here and there and, you know, I did my thing, but something naturally clicked there that um, I was put in a booth. They explained to me, you know, this is how you spin the wheel and this is how you talk to the vacationers. And they explained this philosophy behind when you're on vacation, you're there to have a good time. The kids want to win a stuffed animal. You want, you're entertaining. And so it wasn't just a job that, you know, working at McDonald's, it was, you were almost an actor uh, performing and and the better you connected with your people, they got an experience. And that was a, a kind of neat thing where people would actually look up to you and, and say, hey, yeah, you got you got this. You got something. And at that time, I was about 17, 18 and not being a best student in high school and having a, a learning disability of dyslexia. I was always the kind of guy in the back of the class, you know, and all of a sudden I found myself being a guy in front of the class and people asking me, how do you do that? I, I want what you have. And that was a great feeling for the first time. Like you say, everybody's having a good time. You want to make sure that they're having a good time. Everybody wins, I think. And that's the, that was the focus that you were trying to promote. You know, no matter what it is, if you get a little, you know, a, a marble or you get a stuffed teddy bear or whatever, everybody's a winner. Well, even if they didn't win a prize itself, they won by having an experience. Yeah. And, and you know, if you have a family of five, one of the five is going to win something. And, and so you try to carry that because they're going to go out and eat pizza and go on a Ferris wheel. 
you just want to be a small part of that wheel that they enjoyed coming to the town you're in and, and had a good experience at your booth. Because if they had a good experience at your booth, they stay longer. If they stay longer, you take more money in at the end of the night. Then uh, when the boss would look at the till, he liked what he saw. And that was pretty neat. And it, it wasn't work to me. It was just, it came automatic. Wow. That's great. Jay, so Bob ran numerous booths and then because he became so good at it. Yeah, I was going to say, where do you go from there? I mean, you just out of high school, like you said, you got this great skill set, you know, of entertaining people and, and being good at what you do. Where do you go from there? Well, that's a very interesting question because, you know, I was still going to college and that was a part-time job. And when it was time to finish school, I continued to come back to the boardwalk when my college time was over. And I was then offered to lease my own booth, not just work for somebody else. And that was like, that was my first taste of being a really, really bonafide entrepreneur with an accountant, with a tax person <laughs> and all that stuff. So um, the hardest part for me was actually counting the money at the end of the night. <laughs> well, because it was all quarters. Yeah. Right. Well, you'd, you'd have $1,500, at the end of the night in quarters. Yeah. <laughs> wow. Rickles dimes. You have to go through a, a, a sorting machine. Yeah. yeah. Sometimes it take hours. Right. <laughs> well, but you well, know, but you're making money. You had a business. Yeah. It was mm -hmm. really neat. You know, it was, it was, it was cool. It really makes such a difference when it, when it's actually yours is, is that, um, you know, you're the boss and you're the king of the hill and, uh, and you carried that forward so well into other facets of your life. And then, you know, that became one booth. Next hand note, after a year or two, I had six booths on a boardwalk and, and rubbing shoulders with veterans in the industry. Wow. And you have their respect. You have their help too, because they like to see the young guys come up. Wow. You know? So it was pretty neat. Here you are, you know, young guy, you've got a business. You're doing this thing. Were you always a car guy or did you get into cars later? Was, you, was your dad the person who got you into cars? Where, where did automobiles play a part in your life at that point? Interesting enough, it wasn't really until I finished my boardwalk career, it was 15 years, that I, I realized that I was really a car guy is when I came to Florida full time and got involved in opening a chain of um, retail stores called the Driver's Seat. And there it was high-end automotive accessories in malls. So just the opposite of a parts store. You know, you had the sheepskin uh, floor mats for the Bentley people. You had, so you had the BMWs, the Porsches, Jaguars and stuff. And, you know, you, people in the store, you weren't next to the mechanic. There was no mufflers being sold. It was all glitz. And I was paging through my high school, the yearbook. Yeah. And there's a picture of me and the only thing under my name was cars. <laughs> and I don't know really how that played into anything, but it kind of, I know back in high school, uh, in my senior year, uh, 1970, I had a 1970 MGB, the only one in the parking lot. We had a brand new car, orange, black top. And I think when I got to the boardwalk, it was just like all having fun, girls in bikinis, making money and, and living like a rock star. It was just everything. That ended when, uh, when Atlantic City started doing casino gambling. It was right down the road. The boardwalk started to change. And that's when I decided to go full time to Florida and, and get involved in another business. That's the driver's seat. And, you know, I went from a, a seasonal business that went from four or five months a year working 20 hours a day, the weather dependent, into malls that are open seven days a week, <laughs> mm -hmm. down to 10 hours a day. I, th I thought I died and went to heaven. And, um, you know, it was like, boy, I have 365 days to make money. And so it was really kind of cool. And I ended up opening six over a 10 year period 
all through Palm Beach County and Martin County. Yeah. Every two years, I would open another one. Yeah, I think we talked once about how many square feet your first uh, store was, and it was a little cramped. Yeah, yeah. Well, yeah. you have to start small, you yeah. know. I found I found a combination in Florida. Always try to be back in those days by uh, a movie theater. Back then, they had six plexes, ten plexes, twelve plexes. If you were within really close next door to a couple doors away, you got exposure. You didn't have to advertise because people went to the movies all the time: Christmas Day, New Year's Day, yeah. Easter. So, and when you would look through the windows, it was like a jewelry store for car guys. Yeah. 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 We sold Momo wheels and Dino's wheels, BBS, Style Auto clothing way back in the days. Style Auto was really hot back in the days. It was a nice boutique. It was a, a, it was a very nice way to have a retail operation in, in Florida. Of course, the internet was not around in that, in those days. So you weren't going online to buy things. So you had to go to the store. You had to shop right in your own backyard to pick out all your accessories. And the dealers didn't have a lot of accessories. I mean, you know, they yeah. just had the basics. You know, if you wanted a set of rubber floor mats, that was about as far as it went. But yet people could come and see you if they had a Rolls Royce or a Mercedes 450SL or something like that. I imagine you sold a lot of accessories to 450SL owners over the years. Oh, it is 107 body style. Yeah, yeah that, was, that was a yes, cow. Especially, yeah. especially down where, you know, Palm Beach County. I think it's like three yeah. quarters of the cars on the road were those things. That was, you know, that was that lasted like a decade. And almost all the parts that we sold or accessories were interchangeable, floor mats, seat covers and stuff like that. So we were even able to stock some custom stuff. So it came in with a, one of those vehicles looking for seat covers. And you say, yeah, I got the custom one in your color in stock. It's hard to say no. Yeah. So uh, well, it went from the 450 no. to the 380 and then to the 560. Well, I mean, you know, I mean, those cars just lasted forever. And then to this day, through the family, I have a 560 SL with 6,000 original miles. And I believe, Wayne, you said it's one of the lowest miles, original miles SLs in the it country. It is. It is. I got you beat, though. I got one with 2,700 yeah. miles. But we have the club. We have the low mileage club. But you also sold uh, cleaners, waxes, polishes, wheel cleaners. Yeah. And we only sold Zymol and McGuire's back in those days. Um it was McGuire's professional brand. I didn't want to get into the retail because that's when Kmart and stuff were still around and you could buy it you know, in the parts store. So we, we did just the professional line, which were the numbers. So that set us apart. We cultivated a pretty good following between those two brands. But a lot of the knowledge came from those days on just learning on what those chemicals would do. And it was way before the machine. So it was all done by hand. And that eventually led into future endeavors into the car care industry. So how did AutoGeek get started? Well, that was in the beginning of the World Wide Web. The brick and mortar to me was any accessory business is going to be a sunset industry soon. Um, and no one really knew how to deal with the web there to compete. So um, in the back of one of my driver's seat stores, I allocated about 400 square feet and did a mail order catalog. And I just had the idea that if I printed these catalogs and bought some names, it'd start buying from me. Well, it was a learning experience, expensive one. And uh, I printed some nice catalogs and and put the catalogs out and spent twenty five, thirty thousand dollars on a bunch of catalogs. You mail them out to Iowa and Michigan and places and nobody bought anything. I was like, wow. And then as the web started to grow, you were able to buy your car care products on the web, which means when I did my catalog, by the time it got printed and to the few customers I had, the people on the web could undercut my price. And so after maybe three or four years of trying to get this catalog business rolling. I took all the revenue that I had and just did a website, discontinued the printing of the catalog. And um, as they say, the rest was history. It, it gained traction. 
The first website I put up in a month did more than all my catalogs put together in a couple of years. You know, you had no guidance. You had no direction. It was nobody, nobody to help you about search engines and so on and so forth. And really, when I saw that come, that said, okay, we got to focus on this. So um, where did the, the name Auto Geek come from? Well, it was originally Palm Beach Motoring Accessories. Back in those days, uh, I guess before Google even or what, however they did it, a lot of the search terms was alphabetical order. And I found myself in the P's. So <laughs> at the end, and people who were more savvy on the internet that understood that you have, should be the A's if you want to catch the action. So I knew it had to do something with the word auto, A-U-T-O. In Stewart, Florida, the county fair comes by once a, once a year. My wife and I go to the, um, the carnival county fair. And one of my old crony buddies from the boardwalk has this big, big operation going there. The busiest booth on a midway. And it's called Shoot a Geek. And what that is, is you got a guy that insults everybody about 20 feet back and you pay five bucks to get a paintball gun and shoot the heck out of this guy. <laughs> and it, it, it was a hit. And I'm standing there and I'm going, look, and his name was Tommy. I said, look what Tommy's doing, man. He's just kicking butt. You know, it's like drop the bozo in the water, but it was a different variation of that. Shoot him with a paint gun. Yeah, and the guy's there, you know, and he's insulting everybody's wife the nice way. And I guess you could do that back in those days without getting in trouble, you know. And I went back that night and I'm thinking, auto geek. I got to borrow some, I got to re-engineer some of Tommy's success. So I went to work the next day and I said, hey guys, what do you think about auto geek? Hey, we love it. Think it's good. So the next day we start picking up the phones and we're autogeek.com and just like that. Wow. And, uh, it, it, but that's so many things in my life had happened that way. It's, it's not, I'm not a blueprint person. If I was designed a retail store, there's no blueprints. People say, how did, how did you arrange that? Well, I did the showcases six times before I got it just perfect. So, so now you're in the wax business and, and, and it's online and things are growing like crazy and um, you're starting to make your own products. We've got black label many other products, the Wolfgang products, and and you're also selling everybody else's product too, which is a unique way of doing things. I mean, you don't want to just advertise your own product. You're, you're advertising Griot's Garage, Meguiar's, every type of wax and polish in the world. And it takes off like crazy because people are just going online and ordering this stuff. And then you get, though, the key element, what was about to happen and selling to detailers, professionals. Tell us about tell us about Mike. Mike Phillips. Well, let me back up a little bit to explain the the, the, the template of what Auto Geek was. When I first started, I had the opportunity to meet a gentleman who actually did a his own house brand. It was called Pinnacle Natural Brilliance. At that time, I had five or six of the driver's seats. He had no place to sell his new Pinnacle line, so I became his biggest customer. Over time, I ended up buying half of that company. And then I bought completely out. So now I, I knew how the formulas, all of a sudden I knew how to do that stuff. So then it was time to add Wolfgang, Blackfire. I could do it many different levels because I had the combination how to do that. You just had to market it to different people. Even McGuire's has the professional line, the detailer's line, they have that. I did that with different brand names. So when you have that concept, when you have your house brands, and it wasn't ever designed to be just house brands, I was using... Meguiar's and Lexol and Mothers to wrap around my house brands. And knowing that they had all this traction and they had credibility, uh, by default, I became their biggest online reseller of every brand on the market at the beginning. So while the economy was going down, they didn't know what 
Bobby McKee was doing because all his, my numbers were going up. And it was the fact that I tapped into a new source online and nobody was there yet. I was the only one out there with multiple brands. So by default, I became a superstore for car care and focused in on detailers and end users. And it was very important to put education first and then the product. I would develop a lot of content uh, so people could read it, presenting a, a, a situation that the consumer may not know they had a problem and also solving that problem and at the same time. And then you could buy the product. Along that the road, I got to meet Mike Phillips at one of our detail fests. Uh, he came out with McGuire's. He was the, working for Barry. Now, what he was came, what was Mike's job when he worked for McGuire's? He was he was a trainer, but basically writing a lot of copy for for Barry, and but writing his labels and stuff. So he did a couple classes on Tuesday nights over there. McGuire's local Porsche guys came and stuff, and that's when the days that we had a big event called the. Uh, detail fest and we would have 30 40 vendors here and they bring their rigs it was a two-day event so we had asked if uh, mike could come out with the mcguire's rig and teach a couple classes you know i didn't think they would say yes and they said yes and mike came and did a great job and i, I was as the story goes i was actually watching him teaching this class and i was really impressed by his style and his depth of knowledge so um after it was over, we sat in my office and I was already getting ready to uh, drop a TV show. And I had everything together except for I didn't have a main person. And uh, I said, Mike, I said, um, I got a great opportunity if you want to join the band here. You know, I said, I know I'm a small company here with wires, but um, I'm getting ready to do a TV show and, and I don't have a main person yet. How would you like to do a TV show? He said, I'd love to do that. I, I said, if as long as you go back where are things with Barry, you got an invitation. You can come here and we'll plug it in. So um, he accepted invitation. Barry was graceful enough to let him go. And that's that's how I became a good friend of Barry's because of Mike Phillips, the way he handled that. And the way you handled uh, asking him to come on board too. Barry, you know, he was grateful for that, that you asked sort of like permission. Just can he well, come with us? You know, it's. Well, especially like, you know, you know, to me at that time, I'd never met Barry personally. So it was like, Mike, you have to do all the homework. And uh, it was time for him to go from the West Coast to the East Coast. And he's really never went back to the West Coast. Wow. What year was this? Oh, boy. Um, I don't know, 18 years ago, maybe? Okay. Uh, I, I don't know exactly what year. And what was the yeah. TV show? Uh, the first one was on Fox, and it was called What's in Auto Geek's Garage? And, and, and Mike would go around and look at people's garages and talk to them. And, and they got Mike on TV for two years and on Fox Sports. And then um, after that, I hooked up with Leslie Kennedy with my relationship via Barry McGuire because they were doing car crazy and um, got together and we did two years of, of competition ready. And uh, Mike was the main star and the co-host was AJ. Mm -hmm. And yeah, we had a good support, had a good two runs and uh, Mike was well on his way. But then uh, Auto Geek was acquired. <laughs> The new owners decided not to continue with the the TV venture. Yeah, yeah. So that was that was a, a really exciting time um, in, in television as well as in marketing and in the uh, auto detailing business. Of course, Competition Ready was very successful. It taught a lot of people how to detail cars, and if you got to that point, it was the pinnacle of your career is to bring a car to SEMA and win um, the competition at SEMA, and and so. You prepared that and got a lot of detailers 
professional detailers as well as just people doing it in their backyard interested in that aspect of showing your car. Well, yeah, and it was and it was great networking because of you know, the production company already had their their fingers into knowing builders and stuff, and and then throughout the show itself, we actually went to the the, the businesses of all these builders throughout the country, yep. wherever it was. Going to Alloy and, Shop and yeah, and uh, Troy's and all, all yeah, the Troy, all yeah, 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 and 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 you know those relationships and and that one detail fest, we had six builders come and we had battle of the builders right here in Florida here before SEMA did. Right. Yeah. yeah, we did. Well, I can see, you know, if you, Jay, if you sit back and you, and, and you think of what, what Bob's beginnings were and all these things, it's just, it's that, it's that boardwalk just in a different spot, entertainment and making everybody feel happy. And that's, that's what Bob has done with his career in the automobile business is, is doing the same thing. I mean, I became really good friends with Bob. He asked me to, to come to one of the detail fests and I, I walked in one day and I couldn't believe what I was seeing. How, how many people came out and how excited they all were and how pleasant everybody was. We became better and better friends every year I went. Well, wait, and you, like the energy, the synergy you felt is what Mike felt, which, you know, that one year we were at Amelia Island and we bumped into Ray in the hallway and, and you said, Ray, you got to jump on Bob's bandwagon. You're right here. You got to do this. So, so right. Bob, um, detail fest is a word we use quite often and I was part of it, but where, how did that evolve? Well, it was kind of interesting. The first one was done in November, and um, that's probably why we had 11 people. It didn't work out too well. So the second year, we had it in, in the springtime. I had a local radio station come, and next thing you know, we had you know, a couple thousand people coming. And it kind of just kind of developed year after year. People would say, well, what are you, how are you going to beat this year? And we kept on raising the bar. So it became a mini SEMA, actually, as the easiest way to, uh, to explain it where it was very personal. You could walk on the grounds and talk to Wayne, to Barry McGuire, to Dennis Gage, to Chris Jacob. Well, Chris needed security. <laughs> He's a good looking man. But, <laughs> you know, Christy Lee, all, all these people that were just uh, good car people. Okay. Hundreds of cars would be here and they got judged. And, you know, Wayne, you were mm. judging cars. And then I get back to that boardwalk thing. It's a festival. It's, it's fun. And then Mike was also giving classes and the place was packed inside for people learning how to detail their cars. And then they had uh, on weekends, uh, Mike would hold these boot camps and people would pay money to come down. And, and within three days, they go back as really having the knowledge to become a, a professional detailer. And the more it grew, the more Auto Geek grew. They saw Mike teaching classes and then mothers wanted a class. McGuire's wanted a class. 303 wanted a class. So now what you have, you have two days every hour Another vendors in the, in the, in the showroom. Everybody was at detail fest. They came from all over the country. They came from Australia. They came from all over the world to come to this thing here. Yeah. And, wow. uh, how many people were at detail fest at the height? Like what's the most number? 15,000. 15,000 people. Yeah. It's yeah. two days, two, wow. two days, two days, 15,000. Wow. Yeah. yeah. <laughs> and that goes back to the boardwalk days when you're running a booth. If you ran too quick and, and there's nobody in front of your booth, it's hard to get started again. Yeah. So when you had one or two, you'd work slow, build up five, six, ten people by your booth, then you'd work faster. And then if they start dissipating, you slow down again. So there's an art to keeping the flow. Tell, tell us about McKee's 37 and how that name came about. I really like this story. Well, you know, and I've had 
conversations with a lot of people. And what stuck with me when a conversation I had with Barry McGuire about, you know, putting your name on the label. So when the, when Auto Geek was acquired, now you have to understand it wasn't for sale. It was acquired and I wasn't ready to retire. And uh, I went to the company that was buying it to say, well, listen, we can make this deal, but I want to be able to still do my, my own brand. So I was able to uh, take all of my knowledge of developing Pinnacle, Wolfgang, Detailer's Pride, Marie 31, all these brands I've, I've developed in the past and took all that knowledge and was able to really fine tune the brand now, McKee's 37. So uh, the name McKee's and why 37? Well, 37, I'm always a, I believe guys have this, this thing with numbers. If you look at your, where your waxes are or in your tool chest, you're going to find Formula 409, 303. You don't realize it, but we go after numbers. So I, I wanted a, a name that people would say, what's the 37 for? Because then you're getting impressions. You're getting something. It's just not another name. So I came up with 37 and I, I ran a contest for a year on the internet to see who can figure out what the 37 means. So people, it was funny, people would Google and say, well, Bob, you lived in New Jersey when you were 18 years old, old, and you were right off Route 37. And this is Bob McKee, uh, three, three and seven. That's a 10. Everything you do was a 10. You know, all, all <laughs> these, yeah, and it was going in and, 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 oh, these, God bless them all. I mean, it was entertaining. Yeah. Actually, it was the, the 37 was the, the length of my first motor coach had nothing to do with anything. <laughs> 37 and, uh, feet long. <laughs> yeah, it was 37 feet long, you yeah. know, and, uh, but you know, that's just a, one of those little cool stories that, but engaging with those numbers and to this day, I mean, a lot of people just call us McKees, but it's, it's like Heinz 57. Yeah. For a decade, it was Heinz 57. Now it's just Heinz. So, but the numbers have a subliminal effect on males. And, and I believe that came from my, when I was in college and I minored in psychology and human behavior. And it, it's what makes a person go. And uh, it's been very successful. So kind of cool. So Jay, maybe we should ask him about some of his cars. What his car life is about. Uh, there's a certain Scirocco maybe that we should talk about. A VW Scirocco. Well, back in the Jersey days, I had a, a VW Scirocco turbo. Was it a Callaway was, turbo? No, no, I don't know what kind it was. Yeah. It came with it. And uh, it was, it, it had a built-in CB radio. So, you know, it's dated, you know. But it was, it was my first, my first step into a performance vehicle on me at that time. And yeah, you know, that's when you still had the turbo lag, but, uh, I drove that till I blew that turbo and <laughs> that was a good, uh, appetite for, um, for kind of cool cars. Did the, did the, uh, Scirocco come before the MGB or after? Oh, that was, that was way after. Way after. MGB senior. Yeah. Yeah. yeah but yeah. you see, you had a taste for some foreign cars. Definitely. Um, well, yeah, you know, you, had to, you know, you're glutton for punishment, you know? Yeah. I mean, uh, back then, I mean, I even had a Spitfire. With, oh, know, yeah. Jersey. Oh, mm. yeah, Triumph really Spitfire cool. is one of the few cars I've seen where a fender fell off while the guy was going down the road. I mean, literally, the <laughs> fender fell off the car. That doesn't happen on very many brands, but it did on a Triumph Spitfire. Yeah, there's a Spitfire, you know, and, and up in Jersey back in the days, you had inspections. Yeah. I wouldn't fix anything. I'd just take it back to inspection in two weeks and it'd be working. So... That's the old story, you know, that what English like a uh, warm beer because it's uh, Lucas refrigerators. refrigerators. Yeah. So th that leads me to a question. I mean, you and Wayne have a relationship. Wayne's an amazing car builder. Have you ever had Wayne build a car for you? I certainly did. Uh, I, I acquired a 1960, 65 Mustang 65. From, my, from my aunt. 
Uh, Wayne did a complete restoration. Took what? Almost two years then, then Wayne. Almost two years. So, so Bob sends the car and he, I said, should we just dig a hole in my backyard or your backyard? It was that bad. Put it in. <laughs> it yeah, was that it was, bad. It was, it was pretty rough. 65 rusty. Mustang it's, Coupe, fastback, convertible. No, convert, convertible. 65 convertible, convertible 289 car. No, six, six cylinder. Okay. Six cylinder. Okay. 200 so, straight so six. So he says, there's more to the story than this. And I have to have you restore the car and it's got to be perfect. Perfect. And we sort of talked him out of uh, putting a 289 in it because I said, you know, the six cylinder is actually a really cool thing. Yeah. You never see him yeah. with sixes in him. Everybody always swaps it out for a, you know, a 289 or a 302. Yeah. So, automatic uh, car or was did it was it born with a floor shift? Automatic. Automatic. Yeah. Okay. Yeah. Six cylinder the, automatic. Okay. But the one thing, uh, he had one purpose in his life to do something with this car and maybe he can explain that. Yeah. Well, and, you know, the, my aunt was in, in a nursing home and, you know, I kept on telling Wayne, I said, and she, she, she was a real car girl. Hmm. She was, she, she was nasty and, and she had that Mustang go when she was younger and she had that paid off in two years. And cause I had all the paperwork and stuff. A year goes by. I said, Wayne, I said, yeah, I'd like to get, I'd like to see Jenny, see this car before she passes. He's doing the best he can. Now make a long story longer. We get it done. We, put it on a transporter and she was in outside of Harrisburg, Pennsylvania. We had the transporter stop in a Kmart. It was snowing that day. We unloaded the car. I drove it to the nursing home. She came out in a wheelchair and she's got oxygen on and she's looking at it and she's crying and she's saying, see that glove box? I paid a dollar fifty extra to put a lock on that. You know, she, she wanted to see the engine. And then my, my cousin was there and my aunt says, can we take a ride in it? Now I haven't, it's, I haven't even driven this thing hardly. So there's my cousin driving my aunt snowing through the, the nursing home parking lot. Stock, like, stock buys ply tires. Oh and, yeah. 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 And they're out of, then all of a sudden they're out of sight. And I'm like, well, I hope they come back. <laughs> Came back. Everything was fine. And, and my aunt was beside herself, made her time. And a couple of weeks later she passed on. Oh, she got to wow. see before she died. And, 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 and she got to see it. And, and sometimes I think that's what she was waiting for. Yeah. Also. You couldn't put the top <laughs> down that day. That's for sure. But I'm going to guess, was it a polo white car? No, it was red. Oh, red. nice. Was nice. Red, yeah. black, black, yeah. black interior. And Wayne and his team did a great job yeah. on it. We had, I have since sold that. I was never going to sell that. But for the same reason, Wayne said, let's just put this back the way it looked like at the factory. Yeah. I mean, it was every decal was in the right spot. The washer bag, it was just unbelievable. Some guy that was in North Carolina knew I had a car similar. He wanted that color. He wanted a six cylinder. He wanted the black top manual. He wanted for some reason in his life. Yeah. He won't get same thing. He ended up buying that. I forget except for how much it was. Yeah, a, he paid, a penny. He, he paid all, all the money plus. plus. Yeah, hey. but not as much money it cost me to redo the car, no. though. <laughs> but, um, and I think that eventually sold that Mecham, I yeah, believe. Yeah, it did. Yeah. That's crazy. Eventually. Wow. So. That, that gentleman had it for like three months, and for whatever reason he wanted it for, he was finished with it. And then you've now got the uh, 560 SL. I got the in 560 SL, 6,000 miles on it. and Your it, wife's uh, uh, parents' car. A, my my mother-in-law's car. She had it from brand new. Yeah. And my dad's car, 64 Falcon. Uh, he's passed on. It's 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 just about ready to go in to get a a complete overall, and that's a little six cylinder four door, yeah. nothing fancy. Yeah, but um, I think I might put a crate motor in that and have a sleeper. 
<laughs> but that's the that's the next one we're working on now. Oh, that's fun stuff. So we we learned a lot about your life today and a lot about uh, your business life. And um, I know you're a very religious person too, and I really appreciate that in you. One of the things I want to make sure is we tell everybody how to get your great book. Uh, and we all want to read about your life. Uh, this was just the highlights today. We we certainly want to know all about it. So can you tell us how we can obtain your book? Sure, sure. So the actual name is What a Ride. And a ride refers to the amusement rides on the boardwalk and the car rides. The subtitle is from Boardwalk to Boardroom because the boardwalk started everything. And I today I find myself on the board of directors of the new Speed Vision. So that's a hell of a ride. And the hustler's insight on business and life, because I do touch a lot about the human part of Bob McKee. Uh, most people don't know that part. We usually keep it private. And, and I actually opened up myself hundred percent. And if it helps somebody, um, it could, you could look at it as a rags, the riches book or the, if he can do it, I can do it. I hope it, it inspires people. You can get it on uh, McKee's37.com and that with our website, autoforge.net. And uh, as we're speaking, it should be available on Amazon. Also be able to buy it at, at WayneCarini.tv. Inside sure. the book, is the, there's a code you can scan, and that'll take you to a website. It does two things. gives you great discounts of any everything we sell, and it also will give you a visual journey of the whole book without reading hardly any words. It's all video and pictures. Uh, yeah, when, and when people are on vacation in Florida, they can stop by. We have a 3,000 square foot showroom TV studio. They can buy the book there. I'll personally sign them for them when they come in. So, um, you know, there's lots of ways to do it. And so far, the feedback's been really terrific on the book. It, it, it was a lot of hard work, but uh, I'm, I'm glad the project is behind me and I can concentrate on the really fun stuff. <laughs> One, one more question. So, so we talked a lot about Mike Phillips and, and how he was part of Auto Geek. And, and now um, the announcement's just been made today, I believe. Would you like to say what that is? Well, yes, yes. We're very proud uh, to have Mike Phillips back uh, under the Robert McKee Enterprises umbrella. And he is the uh, global trainer at autoforge.net and managing partner. And Autoforge has about 40 or 50 brands it represents. Of course, it's McKee's on it also because it represents a lot of companies. Well, we've, uh, I think we've used up our time for today, but Bob, if I could ask you one last favor as we close out, go back, go back to being 17 years old on the boardwalk again and you're running the wheel. You know, there's many lines, you know, if you're in a stuffed animal stand, uh, win a teddy for your sweetie. Uh, I mean, it, it's, you know, one win gets it all. Um, there's a prize and winner every single time. Uh, if it was just like a skill game, which would be like, you know, throw the darts at the balloon to win a prize, the, the basketball in the hoop or the softball in the basket, it'd be, you know, one in, you win. Now, you're not saying you win in the big stuffed animal. You win, you get this. Yeah. If you win, you want the big one, you got to win a few more times. Yeah. <laughs> As you interact with people, it's entertainment and, you know, and that's, that's so important to me to bring that across to people. The entertainer that you are, you make sure that we're provided with all the things, all the tools we need to have a good time. So thank you for that, Bob. Well, thanks. I think we ran out of time today. Thanks to, to Matt and Jay for a, a great job. And thanks again to you, Bob. Oh, you're very welcome. Great talking to all you guys. Thank you. All right. Thanks, Bob. He's a great guy. I just cannot wait to read his book and learn more. I can't wait to read it either. You know, I learned something new about Bob every day. 
Well, I think that's all the time we got for today. So Wayne, great seeing you again. And uh, Matt, thanks for everything. And we'll see you guys down the road. See you, Jay, Matt.